admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Bonjour, Monsieur Bond. Where's 007? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. My God, what's Bond doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Well, tell him to pull out. Immediately. Can I do something for you, Mr. Bond? A martini, shaken, not stirred. Hang on, James. The thought had occurred to me. Looking for shells? No, I'm just looking. You have a nasty habit of surviving. What they say about the fittest. Do you lose as gracefully as you win? I wouldn't know. I've never lost. No more foreplay. to a new episode of Bond Backwards. My name is Anders Holmes of the Holmes Movies Podcast. I'm joined by 00, Adam, in the, over in America on the Zoom. 00. <laughs> Triple that doesn't zero. even make any sense. Uh, hello. How are you? Fine. It's snowing. It was snowing here, too. It was nice. Yeah, it is winter, after all. Uh, yes, Wind. it's... Um, Winter's coming. It's come. The winter is here. It's on us, like a big snowy bastard um yes. but yeah um so uh, i, I hope you guys who are listening enjoyed our episode where we talked about on her majesty's secret service that was really a good fun episode to talk about with in regards to the its relationship in the in, in the james bond franchise and so was that a glitch or did you just have a moment i had a little moment i slurred sorry yeah Started drinking early today. I don't know. I haven't been drinking at all. I'm I'm drinking water just to keep my throat from getting all parched and (laughs) and stuff. Okay. But anyway. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking about OHMSS. um, Speaking of the snow. And um, yeah, it was just, um, I feel like there's been some good response to it. And um, I like that. We're doing our bit to rehabilitate George Lazenby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe, maybe he's still alive. Maybe they should do a one off. Thing where he plays an aging spy who's brought back for one last job. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That'd, that'd be awesome. Well, they, I mean, I if they could have time, they could even shoot a cameo and put him in No Time to Die if they felt like it. Mm, anyway, I think we're getting we're getting off track here. Yes, so anyway, so um, the movie we are going to be talking about is You Only Live Twice. It was released in 19, uh, 1967. It was Summer of Love. Yes, it was directed by Lewis Gilbert, who uh, also directed films like Alfie and uh, Educating Rita, and he also directed The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. And um, so he has done two really good Bond films. <laughs> yes, and he also directed uh, Sink the Bismarck. Oh, did he now? Yeah. So this was the. You film. know who was in Sink the Bismarck in a very small role? Our old neighbor Bobby Desmond from. Northbourne Road, where oh, we grew up. Oh, yeah. He was in The Great Escape as well, right? Yes, he was. Yes. Anyway, that's completely irrelevant. But so, um, yeah, this was the film where 
it was they were on location they were shooting the movie in japan for those of you who have seen it of course the movie takes place in tokyo japan they were shooting a lot around there you know this was at like the height of you know james bond was like popular at this time like you know the 1960s like you mentioned on the ohmss podcast like you know that was james bond's like peak in the 60s and it was while they were making the movie while they're in japan sean connery came to the came to the decision that he didn't want to play bond anymore and by this point while making the movie, <laughs> and while making the movie his his relationship with the producers uh, harry zaltzman and albert broccoli cubby broccoli uh, began to deteriorate and they were not really on speaking terms really i mean I, I watched the everything or nothing documentary and him and cubby broccoli they weren't really on good speaking terms really up until when cubby broccoli died when they sort of made amends on you know cubby's uh deathbed I'm sorry cubby we had, good, me. we had a good run <laughs> well look um it is what i think is interesting about this film is that it is following up from Thunderball, which was like a big, brassy Bond movie. And this is a bigger, brassier, bondier movie. This is almost, you could argue, peak Bond. Yes. This is because I think there is not a more stereotypical... If you think about the Austin Powers piss take of Bond, mm-hmm. I don't think you get close to achieving the full scope of hitting all of the beats uh, until the spy who loved me after this film, because um, and actually this is probably, um, you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service aside, every other film after this is not as great. And um, until the spy who loved me, so um, you yeah, know, it is. Sort of- it's just like it is a full like best of greatest hits uh, in terms of like James Bond stuff, like gadgets, yeah. women. Uh, racism um, locations <laughs> you know action scenes crazy schemes um, yeah. music um, villainy you know it's just um, yeah yeah I mean you know because Thunderball was like a really big big film I think you know they got a big budget and stuff and I think with this one they went even bigger they went to Japan shot there and they built this huge volcano set which could be seen for miles from what I look you know, from what I saw on the internet. And, and of course, this is this is where you have your first question for the global authorities, the United Nations, the CIA, yeah. British intelligence. If the set, just the set can be seen for miles, yeah. who the hell missed when Blofeld was building this thing? Like, they didn't just move in. They were, this was a big construction job. Like, this could, what? But did no one notice... It's like it's like they're like taking all these boats towards this like island in Japan. You know, like I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> and also, they're launching rockets. <laughs> like, it's like how does it not it? show up on the satellite? It's like oh oh by the way, something just just a, a rocket is coming from Japan. It might be passing by you. Just keep your eyes out or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I don't know if satellite technology was that advanced then. But like at the very least, like a local fisherman could have been like, well, that's not right. Maybe we should yeah, tell someone I mean, about this. I, I, I think the people to blame in this movie are those local fishermen. Yeah, exactly. They've been there for fucking months or years. They should have known. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, we can't go near that cave. It's like it's the crab key thing all over again. Yeah, the people are idiots. Yeah. Anyway, but um, um, but we should. I mean, just on the production design, the production design was created by Ken Adam, 
who... Have we talked about Ken Adam yet? We haven't really talked about him, and I think we should give a little bit of a chance to, to talk about him, because the set designs that he did for the films, and he worked on Doctor No... And he worked on a bunch of a few other films. Like he, he, you know, he even worked on movies like um, Night of the Demon and uh, Ben Hur. And he, you know, he was. And I think also Doctor Strangelove. He did. He designed he, the the war room in Doctor Strangelove, which yes, is incredibly beautiful. It's it's incredibly uh, beautiful. He won two Oscars for. You just repeat um, things I say. What? He's like, bah, incredibly beautiful. <laughs> I just said it was incredibly beautiful. Find a different word. Okay, fine. Yes, it's uh, it's very picturesque. Is that all right? I don't know if it's picturesque. I think it's it's sort of starkly beautiful. I mean, I okay. think maybe I'm even quibbling over whether I use the right word. Okay, okay, okay. It was my joke. Okay, question. okay, okay, okay. Okay, so he was uh, nominated uh, five times, one twice for uh, The Madness of King George and Ooh. Barry Lyndon. Baza Laza. That's yes. great. So, he, yeah, I mean, he, um, he died around the same time that George Martin did. Uh, the Beatles producer. Mm. And I remember saying at that time, it's like these two people who played probably a, a, a sort of slightly behind the scenes role, but nevertheless a really important role in kind of establishing yeah. two icons of the 60s. Like when you think about the mania we were talking about earlier with the fan culture around James Bond when they were in Japan that really drove Connery crazy. Like the, oh, these, these are like the two... Like Beatlemania and Bondmania, like the two big like British exports at this time, and um, and and so interesting to think of like the role that is played in curating that by people that you don't see on the screen or hear on the record. You I mean or you do hear George Martin on the record, but you yeah. know what I mean. Like it's 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 those people who really like. I think without Ken Adam, you know, and like people like Maurice Spinder who designed the title sequences and stuff, like you just don't get the same look and feel to the Bond movies. I'm sure they would have still made them, but it's like, it's like that set he made for Dr. No. Yeah. All of those sets he made for Dr. No. The stuff he does in, in Goldfinger, the stuff he does here, it's just like, it's so Bondy. Yeah, you know, I know. It, just, it, gives, it gives the films a sense of identity, almost. And, I mean, he, de- he did it again with The Spy Who Loved Me, with the uh, big tanker ship with all the submarines and everything like that. It's such a great King set. Beautiful. Yeah, I yeah. just love that. That's like that's like a, a, a childhood dream of like a big toy, you know? Yeah, I know. It was amazing. And I think you just, it, it just gives, you know, you, you've, you know we, when we talk about films and stuff, we always talk about like the director or like, you know, the actors or the writing and things like that. But we never really talk, you know, most people don't really talk about like the production design and going into like making that world and making it seem believable. I think it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, and I think it's, it's that strange thing around film culture, and I don't want to go too far off track here, but where we think of films as ultimately, I think we don't, we don't want to think too much about the artifice of filmmaking. Yeah. We love just being wrapped up in the dream of it. And that's why I think star culture is interesting because we obsess over actors and, and celebrities. I mean, especially actors, occasionally a director like Hitchcock, but mostly it's people who are actually on the screen. We obsess over them and we invest in them values associated with the characters they play on screen and Hollywood knew that and they exploited that in the in the days of the studio system yeah and you know would create this this image that of around their stars and it's um it is just interesting that the 
the stuff they do obviously is very important. There wouldn't be a film without an actor, but you could make a film without an actor if you want. You can make a, just a film of grass or whatever. You know, you could basically a Terrence Malick movie, and uh, you can, uh, you know, you can. It's it is this thing of like those guys in the monkey suits are, you know, they're great and all, but it's like the whole thing doesn't happen without the Ken Adams and without the. Um, um, you know the, the Roger Deakins and these people who just don't who often just don't get the credit and I know this sounds like really I mean this is a film podcast and there are people listening being like of course they get the credit I love Roger Deakins I love you know Edith Head or whatever but it's like I think for the vast majority of people they don't really think about that when they go and watch a film yeah exactly I think that's very well said uh, I, so I Ken that. Adam it's always good to talk about someone called Adam um yes can I just also talk about another uh great um yes uh person involved in this film John Barry I mean he excels yes. himself in this. John Barry the music is so I mean, good we, and also the Nancy I love the Nancy about the, we talked about on Her Majesty's Secret Service how good the music is there but yeah. this theme is just knockout they're like that's so good that 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 string intro to that song is but also like my favorite bit of music is in the opening in the pre you know after the gun roll after the gun barrel sequence and the whole like you know the trap is opening up the trap is opening up hawaii to jupiter 16 hawaii to jupiter 16 yeah, uh, the 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 um the space march is amazing, and they never use it again. It's like the Jaws theme. It's like it shouldn't be so it shouldn't be so simple to make a Bond music yeah. work, but it really does. It's so effective, um, and uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a great score. I think yeah, John. I Barry. remember when I was I was about eleven years old, and I went to see John Barry and his orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall, and um. Mm. And they, Sorry. It's all right. It was a fucking public concert. I'm allowed to go, dickhead. Yeah, I know. It, um, it was a joke. Sorry. You're jealous, that's all. But um okay. and don't bring up Bruce Springsteen. I um the um I was when they played the space march, I was looking up at these like big baffles they have in the um ceiling of the Albert Hall that are like circular. Mm. And I was thinking like they look like UFOs. And it they had this great thing where they had all this this lighting going on. It was it was very cool. It was a great, a great uh, a great moment. But um yeah, I mean the, the music in this, and then getting Nancy Sinatra in to do the the song. That's my favorite. I think that's actually my favorite of the Bond themes. The You Only Live Twice. It's so good. I like it. It's very very good. I mean, I for me, it's got to be Goldfinger still. But um, and actually, like the, I also, I mean, I, I've I've got to say I love that that instrumental theme for On Her Majesty's Secret Service so mm. much, but. Um, yeah, it is really great. I mean, the and I even the inclusion of the little like Japanese sort of percussion in the it's like you know, and yeah. we're going to talk about some of the Orientalism stuff in this movie, but that's just um, that's a great touch in the way that it's set to you know, initially in the credits, you see the volcano erupting, and it's just like it's just big, it's dramatic, it's colorful, it's you, you know, you're going to be in for some. Yeah. A, a bit of a thrill ride here. Exactly. And also, it's written by Roald Dahl, which is pretty... Right! That's, is pretty that's insane. <laughs> it's like, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think, Roald but he also, fucking Dahl does the screenplay. Yeah, but the film that they did after this, which was also another... Uh, I think it was a uh, Broccoli and Zaltzman film. That was a, you know, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And that was written by yeah, Ian Fleming. Yeah, they did produce it. Yeah, they did produce it. And that was... I didn't realize, but it was... The film was... The book was written by Ian Fleming. That, that's amazing. I didn't know about that. 
Ian Fleming wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The book. But yeah, but Roald Dahl wrote the screenplay for the film, which makes sense because of the whole, you know, the child snatcher and come and get your lollipops and stuff like that. In the original book, is there way more like people just hitting women? Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like just misogyny. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but if I ever read the book or if it's, you know, available in some secondhand shop, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we cut the scene where Dick Van Dyke rapes someone. Uh, but um, <laughs> anyway. Um, it's a very hard image in my head. Just <laughs> Sorry. That's not, that's, not a good image. That's for not a, a good image at all. Friday morning. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to the Only Live Twice. Um, can we, let's, let's get this out of the way. Yes. This film is racist. It is, it is playing on like a number of really problematic Orientalist stereotypes and... Um, and it also um, does this really weird thing where they do this strange makeup job on Sean Connery, and then they're like, "Now you look like proper Japanese man." And it's like that is the, the I mean, I know we're getting a little so bit ahead of ourselves, but that, that's the worst bit of the film for me. That whole like it's 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 like that scene in Team America where they make him look like a you know someone from the Middle East, and they just put like crappy fuzz all over his face and like put put him in black. Yeah, and I think that I think they're lampooning that kind yeah. of thing. And of course, this, um, you know, this tendency to just don blackface or whatever is just, it's like such a blind spot for Hollywood that lasts right into the 20th century. I mean, you look at Tropic Thunder with Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> which like, I mean, is incredible. I mean, that's kind of that a satire that. on the how. But, but still, but yeah. still, like, I mean, it is, it's still, you couldn't do that now. No, you couldn't do that now. I mean, I mean, I mean, a fairly recent one is from 2015 where Emma Stone played someone who was half Asian and everyone got into trouble with that. Right. And, and you know, there are any number of, um, you know, in the, in the Great Western, Tell Them Willie Boy was here, uh, Catherine Ross uh, dons brown face to play a Native American character or, you know, I mean, there are a number of examples of that. Um, in fact, one of the most kind of upsetting things about the depiction of indigenous people in Hollywood is how often, um, you know, in, in films where there will be male, male indigenous actors will be used to play, um, uh, you know, the, the Indians, yes. um, the, the, the women are always played by, you know, Hispanic or white actors for yeah. some reason. I mean, it's just, well, not always, but you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just, I know, it's I know so, mean, yeah. but I mean, I guess in the, it's in this film, they're not trying to tell us that like, Oh, Sean Connery's really Japanese, but the, the whole idea of like, you know, making him look he Japanese just, he just is looks, so... He just looks like Sean Connery, just with a different hairstyle. With that's, a that's wig, it. with different wig, because he's already wearing a wig. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable viewing. There is obviously, like, a delight in being in Japan that this film has. I think the film enjoys and makes great use of the Japanese location. I think they... Um, I think they also, uh, I think they should get credit for using a cast that mostly is made up of other Japanese people, Japanese actors. I mean, you've yeah. got, you've obviously got your your um, Bernard Lees and uh, Lois Maxwell, Desmond Llewellyn, um, and you have obviously Donald Pleasance and Karen Dorr, but, you know, the, 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 the other main actors in the film, like Teru Shimada, who plays Mr. Asato, and, um, you know, the two... Um, the the two Bond girls uh, who are um, Aki and, and Kissy is that really Kissy, her name? Kissy Su Suzuki. K 
Hissy Suzuki. I mean, what the fucking hell. But yeah, no, they're played by um, two Japanese actresses. And Akiko um, Wakabayashi, who plays um, Aki, she's still alive. She's 79, but she has since retired. I mean, 79's a decent age, and, and she's great in this. Yeah, I mean, her she's, death she's is really, really devastating. That, that, because that, it, that, that scene, just when she gets killed, that always, I mean, when watching that as a kid, that always kind of like, I, it, you really felt for it. And it's really quite like harrowing in many ways in the way that it's done. And it's just like, it's she just dies from being poisoned, and it's a slow, like, painful moment. It's quite, quite very, you know. It sucks. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It, it really sucks. And it and actually, I think it 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 slightly diminishes Kissy's character because when she shows up, you're like, fuck off, where's the morning Aki? Um, yeah, exactly. But, she has like she has a face like a pig. Yeah, fucking hell, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the funny, a little, it, quite funny while watching the movies, I did sort of notice stuff in the vo- in the voices. The the actor Tetsuro Tamba plays um, Tiger, uh, t- uh, Tanaka, but the guy who dubs him is the same actor who dubs uh, Emilio Largo in Thunderbolt. Which I thought was oh, funny. Oh no! Is he? Oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's not. Oh, um, that's okay. So okay, this this is. I, I was trying to like come up with some redeeming features. That's okay. This is just not. <sighs> yeah, and there's only but, one moment where you actually hear the actor's actual voice, and that's when he's speaking Japanese, and then it just goes back to the actor who dubs him. And then he sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hang on. Japanese men have such beautiful skin. <laughs> which is such a weird. That's moment. a weird scene. That's a very um, weird scene. Yeah. That's a very fucking weird scene. Yeah. But um, I think, like, what, what do you think about Sean Connery's performance in this movie? Just because c- I feel like it's in the same bolt wavelength with Daniel Craig and Spectre. You can kind of see he's bored and kind of has one foot out the door in some ways. Yeah, agreed. I, I don't have anything to add to that. He seems checked out in this film. Yeah, I think you can almost see him, like, from Thunderbolt to this, you can just see him, like, age quite drastically. I don't know, it's just very sort of like how much the this like wearing like this whole franchise on your soul on your shoulders and being that you know being james bond and having people chasing after you like you know even in this film when they were making it you know they had to go on tv and you know zoltzman had to basically say like he's here to work like we need you know we're here give us our space kind of thing yeah i mean he definitely is um and there was a there's a story where in one press conference he turned up without his toupee and everyone was very scandalized and he was like yeah, the real Sean Connery like has a beer belly and like doesn't wear, you know, doesn't have any hair or whatever. James Bond is a character, get over it, kind of thing. Yeah, and has um, some very sort of questionable things about treating women and things. Well, like that. there's that too. Yes, there's of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, the 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 it's actually a testament to the film that despite that, it's like in Non Her Majesty's Secret Service. Despite the fact that Bond isn't really right in this film, the film is right. Yeah, everything else around. Bond works really well. I mean, yeah. you got a good villain. You reveal the villain in you know in quite an interesting way. I I actually quite like Donald Pleasance's Blofeld, even though I do, Same. even though I it's just it's just he kind of just he's a bit short and he's just like this meek like kind of like goodbye and things like that. He's good. No, he's he's a good choice and um, yeah. and he's you know we've been we've built up to him for a while now. Um, We've been used to... We've seen Blofeld twice up to this point, and so it's a bit interesting that he turns up and he has um, Donald Pleasance's voice, and I think that they had originally cast a different actor. And, uh, they did, uh, and but that he... actor got uh, ill. Uh, they, did screen, yeah. they did screen test him. The actor's name was uh, Jan Verik, who was a Czech actor. Yeah, 
and um where he and so he he was yeah so he was unable to do that but so i'm sure they he would have probably borne more of a like resemblance to the blofeld we know and love from the from from russia with love and thunderbolt but he is um Donald Pleasance just brings this like sort of creepy, damaged, yeah. sort of Voldemort style um villain to it, you know, with the scar and the and the sort of the way he seems kind of hunched and and broken. Yeah. So that that's 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 great. Um and you know, he has he literally hides behind the hulking figure of um of whatever his name is, like Hans or something. Um Oh yeah, what's his name? Uh oh, I forgot. What's his name? Is I can't it? remember. Oh, is it number? Is it, no, it's not number three. No, it's not that. Uh, oh, it is Hans. Yeah, Ronald. Yeah. Ronald Rich. He was a. He was only. His, this was his like only. He was only in three films. He was a a big man in pub in Alfie uncredited, and he was a student doctor in Doctor and Clover, which is well. Kind of, he's yeah. not. I mean, he's not the best actor you've ever seen. Um, no, and but he does he's, get- he's a great physical physical presence. Yeah, and he gets chomped by piranhas, and um, and you've, you know he's a so you know Blofeld is like he's he's a weak man who hides behind a lot of um, you know the trappings of power and a lot of yeah. like you know violence and stuff, and I think actually that is very compelling as like a as a characterization, and um, yes, I mean he's he's um, uh, he's fun Donald Pleasance. He's one of the great character actors. He's obviously having fun with this part, and mm. um, it's just good to see, it's good to have him part of the franchise. It's a shame that it doesn't get carried forward. But then we get Telly Savalas. So yeah, Telly okay. Savalas was like a good good upgrade it, that they couldn't get Donald Pleasance because mainly for all the physical stuff that they had to do and on Her Majesty's uh, on Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service. But yeah, um, what do you think about? Uh, Helga Blunt, number eleven, played by German. Yeah, I have a I have a theory that she's Irma Bunt's daughter, and um and at the end, like when he when he meets Irma Bunt for the on Her Majesty's Secret Service mission, she's like, "What happened to my daughter?" And he's like, "She, she fell. She, <laughs> she, she, yeah." It's like that bit in Two Towers. He fell. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I did not kill her by throwing her into the piranhas. Um, yeah, I mean, she's she's fun. Uh, there's that great scene where he undoes the. Uh, dress with the torture knife scalpel yeah. thing but then he lets her put him in a plane and nearly like crash him into the ground which is very karate stupid chops the the wood that's keeping him in the plane <laughs> but let's be honest one of the best female characters in the film is little nelly yeah i love the plane it's so cool that whole, and it's that a great introduction to q yeah it's such that's such a good moment and um it's such, that whole like sequence with the helicopters and everything, and just the build up to it, where you see the helicopter shadow and you see them all around. It's a little. I think. It, I think, you know, in world is not enough with the with the ski things on with the parachutes. I think that's kind of yeah. a reference to that and stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think, and it's 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 amazing that um, I think it's called like a gyrocopter or something. I, whatever it is, it, little Nelly. It's amazing yeah. that he's able to take them all down, and of, of course, it's. He uses every single gadget that is described in the um, in the you know when Q is is showing him how to use it, and yeah. um, uh, it is it's so, so great that it comes as a kit. It was a very um, popular model kit, I think, after the film came out. Airfix did a, a version of it, and um, oh nice. So I think it was very popular with like modeling enthusiasts, and it just it just is like such a dream of like imagine getting able to fly around in this thing that's just covered in weapons, you know, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean so it really has that boys with toys quality and it i think it just just nails it it's mm. one of the great bond um gadgets and and it's funny because there, there are some good car sequences in this film but they're mostly done 
when you know mostly Connery isn't driving, it's actually Aki who like picks him, rescues him a couple of times, and yeah, um, saves him twice in the same place. <laughs> funnily enough, right, right, yeah, she's always there outside <laughs> the Osato, outside the uh, Osato building, and um, uh, good to see, uh, good to see Charles Gray. Yeah, he's he's really that's stirred, not shaken. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, Henderson. He's um, it's uh, I mean it's it's charles gray is one of the one of those like actors who's fun to watch in anything and mm. um he it's a shame that he he then his next entry is in diamonds are forever which is such a turkey but um he adds a, a he's actually perfect for this role the yeah. kind of the englishman who stayed in japan and kind of um become you know like really absorbed the culture and like where you know he wears his um uh yukata and like uh you know his 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 house is covered in objects it's like that mm. classic kind of fading british empire figure you know that the sort yeah. of the guy who's gone out and as they used to say gone native you know so it's um he's such a he's such a perfect creation of that world um mm. like the world that he he really feels like a holdover from the books actually yeah he does feel like he feels a bit like one of those like john le carré characters like our man in tokyo kind of thing or grain yeah, grain but a bit more, but but with a bit more like campness and a bit more sort of yeah um, theatricality, which I think firmly roots him in the Bond uh, yeah. franchise. I mean, it's it's a real fun scene that, um, and then he gets he gets killed, and then it's like okay, and off we go. Um, but um, but yeah, so I mean, I feel like this is this it's is a- just. Um, I mean, I don't know where to put this in the in the Connery. Um, canon. I think it's as good as Thunderball, probably in some ways, because yeah. I think the location is more interesting. It's definitely better than Diamonds Are Forever. Is it better than Doctor No? Yeah. I don't know, but like, it's it's just a really really fun Bond movie. It is a really good fun Bond movie, and it's um it's got some really good action sequences, and you can really tell that they're just like up in the ante, building sets and doing all this sort of stuff. I think it's really well done, and I and it's that last like the volcano actions like takedown and the sequences around there at the end of the film all the action sequences are really good and i think like the pacing in those scenes are really nice because you really kind of it's a race against time to kind of stop the you know the ship from you know from you know world war you know three happening against russia and america and around, it's quite funny around this time they were the, the whole the space race was going on so they kind of added that little aspect to the film's plot uh, yeah i mean they did that with dr no too but i think they really yeah ramp it up mm. um should we do our fun stuff? Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite bit in the movie? It's tempting to say um, the little Nelly sequence, um, I must admit. But I do also love the introduction of the ninjas and all the like gadgetry at that point. Um, yeah. This- partly because also they use a really great location there. It's one of those beautiful... Um, I don't know if it's a temple. I have to. It's a. I, I, it's, I have, a it's a castle. It's called. A castle. Thank I'm you. gonna butcher the pronunciation of the name. Uh, Himaji uh, Castle near the city of Himaji, which is in located in the Hyogo pre- uh, Prefecture of Japan. Well, that's just one of the great like location uh, uses, and so I, I love that bit. What about you? Um, I think my favorite bit is. I think it's the reveal of Blofeld when he when they first meet each other for the first time. I like that scene. It's like it's like Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes meeting for the first time. It's 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 quite it's done really done it's done really well in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's 
that's true it is done very well and there's a great like they do have a good sort of cat and mouse thing and it, and of course it's like just kill him just throw him to the piranhas yeah, now like, like, don't waste your time it's like it's like you could you, you could watch it on the tv well may i smoke and stuff like that it's just like just no, you sh- may not <laughs> who cares just shoot him yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> stupidest bit what's your stupidest bit um possibly that bit actually i think possibly it's the bit where they're like can I smoke? And they're like, yeah, sure, have a cigarette. And he just like stands there with it. And it's he's like aiming it really carefully. Yeah. And you're like, that's not smoking. <laughs> it's like, it's like you could have one guy in the background being like, why is he holding the cigarette like that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be just because it's such an own goal from the um uh you know, from 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 Blofeld. Um Yeah. What about you? Uh, stupidest bit for me is the sort of the bit where he it's at the beginning of the movie it's when the bed goes up they shoot at it a million times comes back down and he looks like he's not been shot at all like it's it's just some ketchup in the bed it's just some ketchup in the bed i think that they could have done something a bit more i don't know like an explosion or something just to make it seem like oh he is actually dead i don't know that i don't know just watching it again it just seems a bit flimsy i know it's the 60s and the budget i don't know but they could have i don't know they could have done something a little bit more they don't really lean into the whole thing of bond being dead um the way they do for example in skyfall yeah. um like he's like it's it's almost like right at the beginning they're like he's not really dead don't worry it's like <laughs> the film is called you only live twice uh-huh. yeah um you know there's a fritz yeah. lang movie also, called- also i mean we should also say the bit where he and Tiger are getting washed by the women is very stupid, very yeah. offensive, and should be should not have been filmed. But whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you know that there's a Fritz Lang film called You Only Live Once with Henry? Yeah, Fonda? I've not seen it though. No. Uh, favorite location? Well, I mean, it's the only location in the movie. Well, no, but I think we could do areas of Japan. I mean, we don't have to say Japan is the location. Uh, I, for me, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose um, uh, Tokyo. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with the the fishing village. It looks quite nice and peaceful. Yeah, I bet there's a nice like Ryokan or something near there that you can go stay in. Yeah, yeah. looks really, really nice and quite picturesque. But let's be honest, the way they use the location in this film, aside from the racism, aside from yeah. the aspects that we talked about that are really problematic, like it is just such a great um, introduction to Japan that, you know, and to modern Japan, a Japan that 22 years ago was... 22 years before this film was made had just been nuked twice and had been you know had 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 tokyo firebombed yeah had had its you know economy and its military smashed to bits and you know millions of people had died it's um i mean it's a it's obviously the the it was rebuilt you know largely with money from america but also just it's a testament that you know you see in this film um a modern culture kind of like thriving but also you see the old things you know the ancient sites yeah uh, old traditions still keeping you know keeping uh you know holding strong and so i think that there's like there's a lot in this that is a credit to the location that doesn't just exploit the location and then there is a lot of orientalism and a lot of racism so you kind of have to take both um things and i think it's not good enough to just say oh well this was a film of its time it's like it's 1967 they should have done way better with that but this is not the only film to do that it's not the you know there are films that come much later that do things like this so i mean look at like something even like the hangover 2 for fuck's sake which is like oh yeah yeah from only like 10 years ago so so you know it it is it is what it is to to use a well-worn phrase but um but i do love the way they they ultimately like just seeing getting to see that much of the location is 
a great feature of some of the best Bond films. Yeah. Where, uh, who would you recast? That's a good question. Um, I think I would put in, I really like, um, I obviously really like uh, Tetsuro Tanba, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm like, I miss Toshiro Mifune in this film. I was film. just about to say Toshiro, yeah, I was just about to say that. Uh, he, I feel like he could just like, even just like create a new character for him, just like have him be one of the ninjas or something. I would love to see um, one of the great Kurosawa actors. And I think also, um, they, you know, why not, uh, if, if Connery was as bored as he was, like maybe recast him. Uh, this could have been a good moment to introduce yeah. a different um a different actor for the role. And um and there were people around who could have done it back mm. then. I actually think a young Ian McShane, you know, I've talked about him before. I think he would have been a good shout for the role. I mean, he was mm. doing stuff at this time, but you could have also gone in a different direction and used someone like an Edward Fox or um Stanley Baker, and he was probably getting on a bit. But you know, there were there were actors around. I feel like Connery should have been just like retired after Thunderball. Yeah, I think Thunderball seemed like a nice kind of yeah, good way to go out. Yeah, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, I think the person that I would probably recast just see just as kind of like a joke, uh, replace Charles Gray with Roger Moore. Interesting. Just <laughs> I think it would have worked quite well. Do come in. <laughs> yeah, that's that would have been that would be very curious. That's sort of a bit meta. I like that. Uh, um, that's stirred, not shaken. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, what do we do? Uh, what's the stupid? What's the best bit? The best bit we've done that stupidest bit yeah, location but, uh, yeah, casting. Like, I think now we just have to rate it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, rate it. I would give it like three and a half martinis. I'm I I love this film um, more than probably I should. So I think I'm gonna. It is out of five, isn't it? Yes. I'm going to give it four, but the fourth martini just has had one or two sips of it already, but it's mostly like 3.89. Yeah. Like it is, it, for me, this is one of those Bond films that I could watch multiple times. Um, this sequence from Dr. No to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, I find to be really the sort of the core of Bond. There are bits within each film that sometimes I get a bit like whatever, like yeah. snore through it. But generally speaking, this is just a very enjoyable sequence of movies where they get a lot of things right, obviously, aside from the issues the that we've spoken about around misogyny and racism. But, you know, in terms of just like getting the movies right for what they are, they're, they're very, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a bit higher than you for a change and give it uh, just over, uh, you know, three point give it around 3.9 martinis um nice all right then well um well that's uh that concludes uh, another episode of bond backwards do check back with us next time where we'll be where we will be talking about thunderball which is a very interesting <laughs> which is a very uh i think that's going to be a very interesting one to talk about given the whole kevin mcclory story Behind the, the scenes. Kevin McClory story, yes. Uh, we have to get to grips with that. And so I actually always have to remind myself actually what the fuck that's all about. Uh, so um, I, you I've just got, I've got notes because I, I wrote something. You've got notes. You have notes. Yeah, I have notes because I wrote because on the, our blog last year, I wrote something about Spectre and I wrote like a little bit of a behind the scenes of what what, ha- what happened with Kevin McClory. So I can I can do a bit of explanation on that. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's great. Well, you can just tell me all about it then. I don't have to do any revision. Yes, of course. That works out very well. Um, but yeah, so we're sort of getting close to the end, which is uh, sad. Well, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do after this. What, what other, bond, what other franchises we're we going to talk about? Yeah, because there's no other franchises where there are this many films. You can't do like 
Indiana Jones backwards. That doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> we've talked about all the Star Wars movies. We'll have to figure out something. We'll figure out. We'll, we'll do something, kids. Yeah. Fans, we can talk about the Marvel people, movies. I don't, know. I don't want to talk about the fucking Marvel movies. Get yourself a different co-host. <laughs> Fine. Worth a shot. Um, but anyways, uh, yep. That can, uh, like I said, that's uh, another episode of Bond Backwards. Do check back with us next time. I've been Anders Holmes. One life for yourself and one for your dreams. I've been Adam Holmes. Have a good day. Stinging in the rain. That's not funny, 007. Where's your butler friend? Oh, he blew a fuse. Shocking. Where's Drax? Oh, he had to fly. Positively shocking. You missed Mr. Bond. I think he got the point. Right idea, Mr. Bond. But wrong pussy. You're not thinking that. I sure am, boy. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. It's a Smith and Wesson. And you've had your six. Mm-hmm.